This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering and make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of WealthAbility. So today we're, we're all entrepreneurs. We're, we're all looking to be entrepreneurs. And as entrepreneurs, we know that we're gonna have employees. Um, we're working with young people. And we have a generation of young people that is unlike any generation before. So how do we work with them? What can we do? What are the issues going on there? We have an expert with us. We <laughs> totally an expert. Jeremy Adams um, has written a brilliant new book about this generation and um, hollowed out a warning about America's next generation. So very excited um, to have this conversation with Jeremy. Thank you so much for being with us. And if you will, just give us a little bit about your background. I know you have an amazing background in education. Uh, thank you so much, Tom, for having me on. I, I have to say, and uh, all the interviews I've done for the book, this is the first one when it comes to kind of finance uh, and entrepreneurship and all of that. So I'm very excited to be here. I've been a public school teacher for 24 years. Uh, I've also taught at a university for 15 years. Uh, and because I, for some reason, have a, a penchant for self-loathing, I decided to start writing uh, 10 to 15 years ago about these issues. Uh, again, if, if anybody out there wants to publish a book, it can be very difficult. It's kind of an up at dawn, pride swallowing siege. The first few years you try and get it done, but uh, I'm really excited about Hollowed Out. Uh, I think it's really, really important that people from all walks of life hear this message because it doesn't matter if you are in the public or the private sector. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or a non-parent. Um, you really need to understand that in America, we're only one generation away from losing these blessings that we have. So we really need to understand what's coming our way uh, with the young people in our classes today. Uh, thank you. So just, if you will, what do you mean by hollowed out and what group of people are you referring to? You know, I'm really talking about my current and my former students of the last five to 10 years. You know, one of the things that people try to do when they want to excuse the book or just kind of wash it away is they'll say, well, you know, every generation thinks that the next one is, is going to hell. And, and this is really just a book that's screaming, get off my lawn. And what I'd really like to say is, no, it is not. There is something unique and troubling going on with our young people uh, that I've noticed in the last five to 10 years. Now, again, I've been teaching long enough, almost a quarter of a century, to tell you that something very troubling and something very worrisome uh, is emerging in the life of young people. And just to kind of distill it all down, the things that make our lives worth living, the connections to our families, to our country, uh, the idea of having marriage and family, reading, learning, all of these things that fill in the human soul and give us a sense of purpose, they're not there for these young people today. They are literally hollowed out of these connections. Uh, and you see it. Uh, our young people are not like young people from the past. They are uniquely miserable. If you look at the rates of suicide in the last 10 years, they've gone up, Tom, by over 60%. If you look at the rates of self-harm, I mean, of, of, of suicide, it's gone up as well. So suicide, self-harm, isolation, loneliness, uh, the way that young people look at religion, the way they look at family life, the way they look at their country, their, you know, their, their financial literacy is all historically low. 
So this is not like any other generation before us and we need to get a handle on it. So, so in, in your opinion and in, in your research, why is this? Why, why is this generation so different from the uh, preceding generations? Well, great question. And it's, it's a certain degree, I mean, that would, you know, it's kind of a chicken or an egg. Is it social media? Uh, is it the loss of religion? Uh, is it a kind of postmodern relativism that tells everybody that they're the other center of the universe and that the only way to reach happiness and fulfillment is to only worry about yourself? I think all of these things are happening concurrently at the same time. Uh, and, and when you have all of these things that encourage young people to only worry about themselves, and, and let me just say this, you know, a lot of people, it's interesting, Tom, a lot of people think this book was written about the pandemic, about all the problems that we see in our young people as they come back to school. The fact that they're not connecting, they're not paying attention, their attention span, uh, spans are destroyed. What's interesting is this book was written before the pandemic. And these problems are being accelerated and amplified uh, in everything that I'm seeing uh, as they've come back to school. So um, how do they, you know, one of the things that makes us human is, is uh, social and connectedness. How are you seeing this manifest outside of the obvious uh, statistics of, of self-harm, depression, et cetera? But when you look at the school kids, how do you see this uh, manifesting itself? Great question. So, you know, when you and I went to school, imagine when there were, you know, two or three minutes at the end of the period, the, the teacher would say, okay, everybody put your, put your stuff away and, uh, you know, just don't get too rowdy. What would we do? Well, we'd, we'd talk, we'd flirt, we'd gossip, you know, we'd run around the classroom a little bit. If you went to high school parties, they were loud and rambunctious. And what's scary, what's terrifying to me and I guarantee all of the teachers out there who listen to this podcast are going to nod their heads when they listen to it. Silence. When you give kids time to do whatever they want to do, they don't talk. They don't engage. They get on their phones and they self-medicate. Uh, I come from a part of Central California that is where, where you, have, you, know, you have church and you have football. And they're pretty co-equal. And what's interesting I've noticed is young people don't date. They don't go to football games. They don't go to the movies. The, literally the kind of connective tissue that makes childhood fun and engaging and special. And, you know, I think most people kind of romanticize about their childhood, about how innocent it was and falling in love for the first time and doing crazy things with your friends. I mean, I, I want people out there to understand, imagine a childhood where none of those things are happening. I mean, I, I literally asked my students, why don't you come to homecoming? Why don't you come to the football games anymore? And you know what they said? They said, oh, well, we still socialize. We still hang out with our friends. We just do it at home by ourselves. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, so, so do they say why? I mean, uh, here's the thing. So to me, you know, a lot of times when they, you know, they go to their screens, et cetera, that's an escape, right? I mean, they're escaping something. My first question for you is what are they trying to escape? Well, they are. They're very honest about it. I mean, this is the great thing about being a teacher is that, you know, you don't get famous and rich, but sometimes you do see these trends a little bit before everybody else does. And one of the things I've noticed, and I write about this and hollowed out a bit, is that they will admit that, look, it's just very messy. Like, you know, the, the, the actual in-person engagement, when you go to a football game and you don't know who you're going to encounter, are you going to see a teacher there? 
Are you going to see the parent of the girl you're trying to dirt, date, right? Or you're flirting with? Um, how do we deal with all of these messy, ambiguous social situations? And I found that, you know, we all remember how awkward it is, right? To go into a room where you don't know anybody. And because of their devices, they can talk to who they want to talk to. They can do the things they want to do without dealing with the messiness of human relationships. And, and what scares me is that, yes, it, it's easier, but the difficulty is the good stuff, right? Um, it's, it's, it's learning how to date somebody. It's learning how to fall in love. It's learning how to be a friend with someone. I mean, one in five millennials say that they don't have a good friend in the entire world. Half, half of all 18 to 34 year olds. I mean, those are the kids that I teach now and the people I've been teaching for the last 15 years. Half of them don't have a romantic partner. And they say it's because they just don't know how to handle that kind of a commitment. Mm. I mean, consider that family, love, friendship, going out. It's not there for a lot of young people. I mean, and as a teacher, I mean, I, I'm a romantic about books and about reading. And one of the things that I've learned as they've come back to campus is they have no attention span. They literally cannot follow a text uh, beyond a few pages. I noticed that, you know, I gave a test last week and most of the test was on the lectures that I give, right? But I, I gave two articles, short articles, and I said, okay, guys, you have to read these articles and there'll be some test questions about them. And I didn't lecture on them. I didn't, you just have to read it on your own. Well, guess which questions they all missed? The reading questions where they actually have to engage something very, you know, you know with some time and focus. So it, it's very disturbing. Well, so let me ask you this. So um, I know I, I always tell my staff um, in my company that there are certain things you can't do by email, okay? They like to do everything by email, right? And, and I'm going, you cannot have a conversation. It, it literally is impossible to truly have a conversation by email because um, it, you, you don't get, you don't get the, the physical, you don't get the, um, you know, the, the, the tone is always different. It's, you know, it's, it's a, to me, it's you're, you're bailing out on the relationship when you do up via text or, or whatever. So what do, you, what do we do to help these uh, kids and, and get them, allow them to be messy, allow them to make mistakes, allow them to, to, get, to get in and get their hands dirty? Well, actually, I'm going to answer this question with a question for you, to be perfectly honest. So, you know, one of the things that I, so many of the things that I see in my really young people, my 18, 19, 20 year old students, it's interesting when I follow my older students, my students who are now in their early thirties, you know, I notice that a lot of them in the wake of the pandemic, they don't want to go back to work. They don't want to go back to the mm -hmm. office. You know, and my wife is an attorney. Uh, my, one of my best friends is an investment banker in Chicago, and they're just pulling up their hair because they're trying to get these, you know, these people in there, you know, these millennials and these Gen Zers to understand, look, it's really hard to mentor you if you're not in the office with me. It's exactly what you're talking about, that there's a kind of organic joy that you get of being in the same room. And I'll be honest, Tom, I would much rather be in a studio with you right now doing this, right? I think that, you know, I, not that I'm not enjoying this, I'm enjoying this very much, but I think there's a vibe. I think there's an energy that, that, it's hard to describe to people who've never experienced it. So, uh, you know, I'm seeing this in, in people who are, are, you know, that generation behind me. I, I don't know what generation you're in. You look really good, whatever your age is, but I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. And, you know, so I'm that generation that the first time I ever saw the internet, I was 19 years old. So I grew up 
I fell in love. I learned how to go to church. I learned about my nation way before all of these things. And I understood that being in the classroom, and this is the thing, I mean, let me answer the question from my perspective. I hated last year, Tom. I hated it because that magic, there is a, my, I don't have a vocabulary big enough, maybe grandeur, enchantment, uh, whatever the word is, of being in the classroom with another human being, when you know that you are teaching them something that they will take with them the rest of their lives. And I, I don't think there's any question. I, I, I do a lot of speaking and uh, sp speaking uh, over, <laughs> virtually is not nearly the same because you, you don't get the same energy. You don't get the same connection. You don't get, you don't see that light go on like yeah. you do when you're there in the, in the room with them, right? And it, for me, sometimes I'm in front of, you know, five or 10,000 people, but you can still see it. Right. Yep. And it doesn't matter if it's five or 10,000 or 15 or 20. To me, you still get to see that. You don't get that um, virtually. Yep. And I, I've got to believe, I mean, I, I feel bad for uh, teachers. For me, it meant I didn't have to travel and I got to spend more time with my grandkids. So that was all good. Um, but the reality is, is I, my, my wife says I was like a caged tiger, that I couldn't yep. wait to get back um, to being on stage and to being with people because there is that connection. And, and just so you know, I'm, a, I'm in that Hey Boomer generation. Okay. <laughs> do, do, you, do, you, do you hate that though? I would. I, oh, I don't care. I, don't, uh, I, I honestly don't care. I, I actually love me millennials. My partners are millennials. My staff's millennials and I love them. They're hard workers. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have that issue with them um, that a lot of uh, boomers do. And I, I know that we're a whole very, you know, we think I thought of this of my of, of my parents, right? So right, they, exactly, yeah. You know, they're they're the greatest generation. My parents were the greatest generation, and, and uh, they had we had the same issue with them. So, um, but let me ask you a question. So, if you could just give us a couple of ideas, then I want to I want to talk briefly about um, what we can do from an education standpoint. But before we get to the actual education side. What do we do as far as helping our children, our employees, et cetera, socialize um, so that they don't get disconnected from uh, really, really from, from humanity? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the things that we, we have to do, because I'm sure that the, the business world and the realm of, of, of what you do with commerce and investment and all of that, I, I do think that there's a lot of similarities to the classroom. Uh, and, and I think that we have to be completely unapologetic about the limits of technology. One of the things that I see with a lot of people who are kind of older is that they're so embarrassed to say to millennials or to Gen Zers or to young people, look, technology is a tool, it is not a panacea. Technology should help us with the humanity of what it is we're trying to achieve. Now, I'm trying to educate my students. I'm trying to raise my children. You are trying to inspire the people in your audiences. You're trying to give them education to have you know, financial uh, literacy so that they can do what it is they wanna do in their lives and meet their financial goals. And, and, I, and I think that we have to be able to embrace kind of traditional connections. Uh, and and don't, don't worry about apologizing about the limits of technology. Uh, I, I see this a lot with my kind of the younger people on my staff sometimes is that they, they think that, that, that the latest and the greatest gadget is going to be the solution, that, that there's a solution out there. We haven't invented it yet. And if, if we could just wait on, on, on the Silicon Valley to come up with it, 
It's going to be the solution. And let's stop with the solution. Let's stop with the idea of, uh, of, of technology being the panacea. Uh, it, it's never going to be. Nothing can supplant the humanity of your business practices or my educational classroom teaching. Well, let, let, let me suggest that um, education is a, is a perfect example of that. Um, I find that if you, if you take a teacher um, who's not a great teacher and you put them on, um, on um, video, they, it doesn't make them better. No. Right? <laughs> so no. They don't get better by, by doing it online. It actually gets worse because they're, at least when they're in front of people, they can adjust and try to adjust somewhat and kind of can see that the, you know, you know, people are, are drifting, et cetera. And it's very tough to see that when you're on a Zoom call or something like that. Um, but let's talk about some of your solutions because I like some of your solutions and haul it out. Um, I, I think they're very practical. For example, um, you mentioned the idea of just, I don't know, sitting down to dinner together. So how important is it to get people in the same room? Yeah, that, great, great question. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think would really surprise uh, most people who don't, you know, who aren't teachers uh, is the extent to which young people today live their lives completely detached uh, from adults, adult values, uh, adult expectations, adult relationships. And so when you live your life with, you know, maybe a, a single parent who's working three jobs, uh, in the last year and a half, you haven't been around your teachers. Uh, young people don't, they don't go to church. So, so that those kind of adults, you know, as a pastor, uh, they, they don't, again, they don't really have older friends. So what happens is young people spend nine or 10 hours a day. And I'm, that, that statistic shocks people and, and it's, I'm not making it up. And it's, it's pre pandemic young people spend nine to 10 hours a day on their devices. And what are they watching? They're watching other kids and what young people think and what young people say. So that lack of connective tissue mm -hmm to adults, I would argue if I could change one thing, it's the fact that young people today don't have those adult role models in their life. And, and I, would I would argue, and I, I know that you agree with me here, that the, we all, as human beings, we learn by the examples in front of us. And we're going to absorb values. I mean, young people are going to absorb values. You know, some people say, well, they don't have any values. Yes, they do. They're just not the values that are going to lead them on a path of success. And so you have got to put yourself in the actual physical space, the emotional space, the intellectual space. And as a civics teacher, I would tell you the political space of young people today. Uh, th that is, I think, solution number one. I know you mentioned the fact that I wrote about how, you know, we don't eat with our families anymore. And that is, that's not just, you know, poor people who are working three jobs. That's also wealthy families who are keeping their kids so busy all the time. We now spend, Tom, we now spend in this country more money on fast food than we do on groceries. When I, when I read that, it's one of those statistics that it kind of, you stop reading and it tells you how busy we are and how unhealthy we live. I, I think one of the shocking things to me the other day, um, my wife and I, we, we go out to dinner together regularly and uh, we're out to dinner at the, this restaurant and this family, um, two kids and, and, and their parents come and the kids promptly take out their iPads and yep. they are on their iPads and the parents are on their cell phones. And I'm going, wait a minute, this is not a family dinner. This does not count. Uh, my, my wife is insistent that we have family dinner Sunday night. Everybody comes. 
everybody comes and there are, there are no <laughs> there, there are no iPads, there, there are no cell phones, not allowed. You don't turn on the TV. This is our time together. And it just seems to me like it, what I'm hearing is that that, um, abil- that connection, generational connection is really important. Right. And, and, and it's so, so, so true. It doesn't happen. And one of the things that I would say, it's funny the way you were, you were talking about, uh, you know, what you saw at the restaurant is that you, we have to learn and we usually learn this in family meals, and we used to l- learn this in the classroom, we have to learn how to disagree with one another, right? right? That we have to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable, right? That every difference of opinion is not a difference of, of, of principle. And when, you, when you're constantly on your phone, you, you don't learn how to have discussions. You don't learn how to have conversations. You know, one of the things that I really, I mean, none of my students will probably watch this podcast, so I'll just be really blunt and really honest. I, I, I've learned in the last five or six years, I have to be really careful about the things I talk about in the classroom, that young people have a real t- you know, difficult time mm. hearing ideas and arguments that they don't agree with. And to me, like, like again, I'm going to get really personal right now. My father just passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, and in fact, uh, we're having his funeral tomorrow. Um, and I've, I've been overwhelmed the last few weeks because he was a teacher. He was an amazing teacher. And I've been overwhelmed by all these emails and notes from former students who are now in their 40s and 50s. And it's interesting because they all talk about what a tough teacher he was, but his toughness, the, his, his high expectations, that is what made him great. And yet I think about all the things that made my dad great, and I wouldn't be allowed to do any of that today, Tom. None of it. The kids would be find it off-putting. They would be uncomfortable. The parents would call in and say, you know, you're challenging my, my kid in class. Well, that used to be the whole point of an education is to learn how to entertain perspectives and ideas that you've never been exposed to. And God forbid you actually realize, you know what? I'm 17 years old. I don't know everything. That would actually be the definition of education. I I remember I I was a a Mormon missionary in Paris, France. And uh, what a, what a great place to go. It was great. I I learned how to get rejected in French. It was awesome. So, (laughs) Um, but here's what I learned. So, so I learned about the seven course meal because the French invented the seven course meal. But here's what most people don't understand. Why is there a seven course meal? So that you can have an argument without the food getting cold because you only have one little course at a time. That's literally why, where that came from. And that we would have four hour dinners. Um, and the four hours wasn't because we were eating for you know, we were that hungry. We ate, I mean, you know, they're small portions, but what happened is um, what I learned over there is that an argument is how you learn. And so, you know, the French are very, um, they're very passionate, but they're not emotional. So in other words, they don't take it personally. So you could have, you you know, I remember saying to uh, somebody once over there, I said, well, you know, in the U.S., all we ever talk about is sports. Um, we, we can't talk about religion or politics. And I remember them turning to me and saying, if you're not talking about religion or politics, why are you talking? Yep. Right. Yep. I mean, that's the whole point of having the conversation is to learn from each other. And by the way, I'm going, you just said something, I'm going to rip you off just so you know, we are, you know, they are passionate without being emotional. I'm going to rip you off the next time I write something, just so you know, do it. Do it. And I'm not, I'm not going to give you any credit for it at all, but you know, what you're describing is so well, are these like beautiful Parisian salons from the enlightenment. Right right? Where they used to have, they'd bring in all these intellectuals and these artists and these philosophers. And uh, I, I think one of the famous ones was, was Baron de Hollenbach. And he would bring in people who he knew 
would go at each other because that's what was fun. That's where everybody learned. And you leave the evening feeling like, oh my gosh, I understand something I didn't understand before. Right. It's all, it's all about the argument. So, uh, okay. So, so last kind of direction I want to go is, is let's look at technology from an educational standpoint. Okay. Because I'm a big believer that um, technology could be much, much, could serve education much, much better than it does. Um, what do you think needs to change? Cause we've got all these entrepreneurs out there. And if, if I, I believe that if true change is going to come to, to education, it's not going to come within the school systems. It's going to come from outside the school system, which is going to be entrepreneurial. So if, if you had a magic wand, what would that online education be? Now, granted, we want the, you know, in, in person education, but what that, what would that online education look like that it's different than what's available today? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think up to a point, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I believe that, you know, it's when, when people come from foreign countries, you were talking about being a missionary over in France. And it's interesting when, uh, when people come over to the United States and they go into our education system, there's two things that I, I hear from them over and over again. Number one is you guys are obsessed with sports. We're not obsessed with sports over in Europe the way, unless it's football or their <laughs> soccer, right? We're not obsessed. But the second thing they say we're obsessed about is technology. Uh, if you look at other school systems, they are not looking for the latest gadgetry or technology to bail them out. So here's where we maybe slightly disagree a little bit. I agree that the solution is gonna come outside of the school system, but the research is very clear. From the time you were five years old to 18 years old, you spend 91% of your time not in school. And we all know that the variables that dictate your value system, do you want to go to school? Do you want to go to college? Do you, do you object to homework? These influences happen before you get to the classroom. See, and that's one of the things I always say is that it's very difficult to make me responsible for how my students do in their lives when I actually spend a very little amount of time with them. So I would argue, and this is what I would say to the people who are listening to your podcast, anything that can get the adults, the parents involved more intimately okay. in what's going on in the classroom is going to be the solution. One of the things that I do on parent night is I always tell the parents, look, when you're, when you're teaching seniors, you guys have these children and they go home and you ask them, what did you do today? And they're going to say to you, nothing. Now, let me just tell you, that's not true. I'm teaching hard every single day, but they're 17 or 18. They don't want you involved in, in, in their schooling. But let me tell you something. When they were kindergartners, you knew that you, they needed you to do well. But let me tell you something. They still need you. So I, I always invite parents, come into my classroom. Watch what we do. Don't tell your student, by the way, just show up one day. It's really funny to watch them uh, because they walk in and mom or dad are there. So do that from a, from a technological standpoint. Get the parents into the classrooms. Um, that's what's going to be the solution. I, I like that. So final question for you. So this is a real world business question for you. Uh, and that, and here, here, here it is. Um, you, I don't know if you heard, but um, one of... Uh, one of the big accounting firms, um, PricewaterhouseCoopers, just announced the other day that all 55,000 of their workers can work from anywhere they want. They don't have to come into the, the office. They can work from anywhere they want. So here's my question. If you were saying to an employer, 
Okay, you're employing these kids because that's what they are. I mean, they're all, all of my employees are younger than my children. Okay, everyone is younger than my children within, with maybe one exception. Okay, so I'm employing these kids. How important is it for them to come into the office? Is, is it something we just need to make sure they come into office once in a while? Uh, how do you create that interaction? Because I, I agree with you. I don't think you can do it entirely uh, via remote. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say a few things. Uh, and, and some of these things I write about, and some of these things, by the way, I don't write about because you know finance is not my specialty. But what's interesting, Tom, is I do teach advanced placement economics in the second semester every year. So I teach government in the first semester and economics in the second. And what I've noticed, and this, this will answer your question, what I've noticed about young people, and you know, I know a lot of people who are my age who have, you know, they've worked really hard and they're doing well. And so now they're kind of mentoring these young people. One of the things they've noticed is number one, young people are not institutionalists. They are not romantic about joining a, a company with a big name. They would much rather go be an entrepreneur than join you know, IBM. Uh, you know, they'd much rather create a new, a new uh, social app than to join Apple computers. So that's the first thing is you've got to learn how to teach institutional pride. I've noticed at my own school, there's not school spirit the way that there used to be. That kind of institutional sense that I am a link in a broader chain that has done extraordinary things. If you can do that as a business owner, say, look what we are doing. Look what you are a part of. That is so essential for young people. The second thing, they don't like to wait. I've noticed that a lot of my, my, my students who have gone on to be lawyers, they want to be a partner in about three years, you know, <laughs> they, and they're like, you know, well, we, 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 what's that difference between being an associate, a partner and an equity partner? We want to go to that equity thing really, really fast. And I think we need to teach that, you know what, it, there is virtue, there is value in taking your time, right? So teach institutional pride, teach that it's okay to take your time. Uh, and, and, and the third thing is, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I, as much as I can sit here uh, and talk about the value of being in person, I do kind of feel like the genie's out of the bottle there, uh, that, that, that we're just not going to get back to that again. Um, and, and we can go back and, you know, I wish that we could go uninvent Twitter, to be perfectly honest with you, but that's gone. That ship has sailed. So I, I'm not exactly sure how you balance that other than to say there has to be a balance uh, between you know, working in Hawaii and, and, and at least insisting that sometimes we are together. Awesome. Okay. So uh, final words, uh, two or three things that you think top of your mind people can do to help the uh, young people connect better. Yeah. Uh, number one, make sure with your workers, uh, put yourself in their, in their space. Uh, and and that, is, that is so essential for doing. And, and one of the things that, that I would do that, you know, when I look at my my former students who are doing so well, one of the things that I noticed is my, my best former students were not the ones who necessarily got the 98% in the class. They're not always the A student. Right. What I've noticed is that my best former students in the marketplace are kids who never expected things to be easy. And, and that, that, you know, some, in education, we call that a growth mindset. The idea that, you know, things are not set, that you can grow, that just because you haven't jumped over the wall the first 20 times you did it doesn't mean that you won't get over there the 21st time. And, and that idea that you should expect things to be difficult. And not only that, by the way, that what is real achievement? Real achievement is when you do something that other people aren't willing to do. 
right? And so, you know, it's like the great, I'm a Californian. I love Jerry Rice, you know, greatest football player of all time. Sorry, Tom Brady. Um, but Jerry Rice has this great quote where he says, I can do extraordinary things today because I was willing to do things yesterday that nobody else was willing to do. And I think we really need to teach that ethic no matter what our job is and no matter what task we're trying to get them to do. I love it. The book is Hollowed Out, uh, Jeremy Adams. Jeremy, uh, thank you so much. Where can uh, people get more of you? Uh, absolutely. First of all, you can get the book pretty much anywhere. Go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, go to your local bookshop. Uh, it, it's pretty much anywhere. Uh, but as far as me, you can follow me at Twitter. I know I just said we should get rid of Twitter, but uh, you can follow me at Jeremy Adams 6, J-E-R-E-M-Y-A-D-A-M-S 6. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram at Jeremy S. Adams 1976. I don't overwhelm stupid stup with, with silly posts and minutiae. I only post about interesting things every now and then. So please give me a follow and please buy the book. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and I, I echo that. Um, we need to connect with each other. We need to connect with people. Uh, we need to connect with our employees. And uh, I love the idea that uh, we need to connect intergenerationally. And when we do, and we really get back to connection, I, my opinion is we're always going to make way more money and pay well less tax. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.